Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and holy moly there's a lot going on. Uh, first up, gang, the uh, April conference for Uncharted, the marketing and strategy conference is continuing to slowly and steadily fill up. If you want to grow your practice, if your practice is already growing and you're like, how do I manage this growth? How do I control this growth so that I'm not overwhelmed all the time? Check it out. It's in my hometown. It's Greenville, South Carolina. It really is something special. You would love it. Also, registration for the strategic planning course in Uncharted is open right now. That is me and Stephanie Goss, who you know, we work together on this. It is a four-week course that Stephanie and I, Stephanie and I, Stephanie and I run together. So uh, it meets once a week for a lecture and a little bit of discussion. We take questions at the end for sure. And then we have small groups that work together. We have office hours so we could talk about what this looks like in your own practice. We touch on core values. We touch on the vision for where you're going, making a long-term plan, assessing your uh, employees. Do you have the right people? Do you have them in the right seats? Are they getting trained the way that they want? We do a mile-high view of your finances. Do you have a budget? Are you using it to make plans? If you really feel like you would love to just get your feet under you and have a plan for where your practice is going and a plan that people could buy into and get behind and help you with, guys, this is our best shot. It goes on for a whole month because I want you to do it in bite-sized pieces. So expect to come and learn and actually do stuff and make changes. And so registration is open for that now. Uh, there are a limited number of spots. Our members can go ahead and register right now, uh, opening to the public in another week or so. My advice is go ahead and join Uncharted and then just grab your spot right now. Don't wait until it opens up to the public at large. So that's coming up uh, and going on and you want to be into it. Gang, another big announcement. We have got our keynote speaker for the April conference that I've been hinting at it a little bit. The one and only Dr. Betsy Charles uh, from the Veterinary Leadership Institute is going to be coming and she'll be running some workshops on leadership communication. She'll be doing our keynote. If you don't know Betsy Charles, you are missing out. She is an amazing person. She's an inspiring person. I am so glad that she will be at the April Uncharted Conference. And she'll be there the whole time and she'll be uh, she'll be in the crowd and at the social events and hanging out and she will be part of the community this year and I am just I am so thrilled to have her I am such a fan of hers and I just uh, guys this was this was a big a big victory for me I just I cannot wait to bring her into what we're doing it is going to be fantastic last thing I'll say some of you guys have contracts uh, in place where you get CE money for the year and if you don't use your CE money by the end of the year, it goes away. Guys, Uncharted Online, even if you can't make it to the conference, grab an Uncharted Online uh, membership. It would get you into our strategic planning class. It would get you into our uh, communications courses coming up. We've got, um, man, we've got our book club. We've got our culture chats. We have our office hours. We have our watch parties where we watch all of the workshops from the conferences. You're into all that stuff. Also, we have staff training resources that have just opened up. The Uncharted Staff Pass, it's only available to Uncharted members. Only Uncharted members can get their staff access to the online school and to some programs that we'll be dropping into there before long. So lots of good reasons to join Uncharted Online, especially if you're going to lose that money at the end of the year. With that, let's get into this episode. It's about talking to doctors about time management. I just want to be up front. We start this episode off and we're talking about bringing new doctors into the practice and building good habits. And then we get into how to fix this if it's already going on in your practice. So there will be some people who are like, yes, let's go ahead and lay groundwork uh, to make sure this doesn't become a problem. Let's make uh, let's make some systems so that we can avoid this in the future. And it's really important to talk about that stuff. I know there's a lot of you out there who are like, Andy, this is already a problem. We don't have new doctors coming in. These are established problems in our practice. Don't worry. We got you. We just go through laying groundwork first. And so I don't want you to bail out or feel like this episode's not for you. I really like this episode a lot. I just, um, you know, you wish that you could be all things to all people at the exact same time, and you can't. 
So come in, be patient, know that that's where we're going, and I hope that you will love this episode. And without further ado, let's get into it. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me and practice management goddess Stephanie. Flow like a harpoon daily and nightly goss. <laughs> oh, my God. You're such a nerd. I love it. <laughs> it's true. Oh, it's true. But uh, me, I remember, I'll be honest with you, I remember when Vanilla Ice was at the top of the game. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was like three weeks, <laughs> and it was back in the early 90s, and I was all about it. Everyone was all about Vanilla Ice back in the day. It was like Miami, and uh, the <laughs> MC Hammer parachute pants were back. Yes. Little yes. shaved lines on the side of my head. <laughs> Stop it. You did not. I did not. I did not, but I would have if I thought I could have pulled it off. I just... Uh-huh. <laughs> I would have. Now, now everybody's got a mental image <laughs> of, pre- <laughs> yeah, of preppy of like nerdy cloth hair and Andy. <laughs> yeah, and lines. lines. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Anyways, how's it going? How's it going over there? It's good over here. It's good. It is definitely cold today. We had a big cold snap, so bundling up to walk the dog, and everybody's sprinting into the clinic because it's frigid outside. Yes. Um, so, yeah. so speaking of the dog, does that mean that the naughty dog is home from his, uh, his training experience? <laughs> he is. He <laughs> is. The naughty dog is home from his training experiment. And, you know, I was really trying to control my expectations and I was also unsure of exactly what do you get? Like, what do you get when you send a nine month old goofy dog away for a month of like hardcore training? Does he come back like someone comes back from boot camp? You know what I mean? Where their <laughs> right. their whole life is different and they just they they're they're suddenly making their bed and you know working out in the morning or you know, or what or or are they just themselves right. and this is all a flash in the pan? And so it's obvious in hindsight, but so he has come back and he is a wild nine-month-old goofy golden mutt. And he, and he has, and he knows commands Uh and you know, if, if they are the most exciting thing he can do, he will totally do them. (laughs) So what you're saying is they didn't train the teenager out of him. (laughs) No, they did not train the teenager out of, they did not train his youth away, which I think I was kind of hoping for. I would, I wanted a six year old dog in a nine month old dog's body. That's what I wanted. Um, I did not get that, but but I did get a dog that's much better mannered and the kids have picked up the training as well as I have. And it's something fun that we do together. And he knows how to do things and be praised and rewarded for them. And we've, we've hit that happiness spiral. And so the meta, the metaphor here honestly is it's like, it's like staff training you know, uh, when you're in your clinic and then it just, you don't know where to get started and everybody's just kind of making it through the day, that can be a frustrating place for everybody to be in. Totally. Once you start to figure out what you're doing and there's a plan and people start to find success, then they find out they like success and they like to be rewarded and they like to be praised. And the practice is getting better and better and we're moving in a direction that that's rewarding for everybody. That that's really the metaphor here is if you think you're going to start some strategic planning and some programming in your practice and people are going to stop being who they are and become, you know, military, you know, <laughs> get stuff done, no business or no pleasure, all business people, that's never going to happen. They're always going to be the same people they are, but you can get them into a place where they know what they're doing and they feel good and they, you know, they are succeeding and they feel good about succeeding. Right. And yeah, so that, that's it. And just let me always just say that whenever I use dog training metaphors, it's because all human beings are simple animals. I don't care if you're DVM PhD, you're a simple animal just like me. And so, all, you know, it, it all, it's amazing how it all sort of fits together. 
Oh my god, all I can picture right now is Skipper in a pair of camouflage pajamas. Like, he's come back from military training, and he's sitting there, so cute, on command, sitting in his bed in his little camouflage pajamas. Hey, Jamie Holmes, if you're listening to this episode, can you please make that happen? Someone needs to give Kelsey Beth Carpenter that social media gold, because he is adorable. He is adorable. He is ungood. We we tried to record the podcast with him uh, being here, and he could not control himself at all. And so now he's in his great. Oh my god, I love it. Well, so you started talking about the clinic and metaphors, and they were fantastic, but um, they were not uh, not in line with the topic that we've got today. This one is a really good one, though. I'm very excited about this one. I think uh, we've had something come up that has come up for both of us multiple times. Um, yeah. we um, So we went into the mailbag and kind of smashed together a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. So this is something that has come in through the mailbag. It is something that I was recently asked about at a uh, conference that I was at. And we've also seen it in the Uncharted community. Mm-hmm. And so I smashed a couple of things together here uh, to make a make a... I don't know, uh, a composite sort of question. And let's, let's, let's talk through it. So the way I put it together, the essential question I've gotten is, um, help our new associate vet is working until 10 PM every night and then going home and working more. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had practices. Uh, so I, I had that, that came at a, at a conference recently of she's a brand new veterinarian. She's going to burn out. This is not sustainable. What do, what do we do? And then the other part is um, I've also had practices asking about surgeries and dentistries that take forever. And patients are getting discharged at the very end of the day with little recovery time under supervision. Um, how do I talk to this veterinarian who's taking forever? And what do I say? Mm-hmm. And so I thought we could sort of tackle that. Of, of The essential question is, how do we talk to veterinarians about time management? I think that that's yeah. really the question that 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 we're getting at. Totally, totally. And I think that there's a couple of um, a couple of little areas where we can dive in there pertaining to uh, new versus experienced vets because I don't necessarily think that they're that different. I have seen associate vets that have been out of practice, you know. 12 or 20 years that have the same problems as the new vet who, right. Who is working until 10 o'clock at night and then going home and, and working some more. So I think I have some, some questions to ask you before when we dig into this, but before we really get going, where, where are we starting in terms of getting into the right headspace for how do we have this conversation with a veterinarian? Yeah. So headspace for having this conversation with a veterinarian, a lot of people their head goes straight to, I'm the boss. How do I tell this person to change their behavior? Mm-hmm. And I have not found that to generally be a productive headspace with veterinarians. Um, the way I've heard it described, and this is maybe a cocky way to say it, but I, I think there's some truth to this. A, a lot of people look at veterinarians and see employees or they see cogs in the machine And I think that you can take that view at your peril. I think the better analogy is that managing veterinarians is like managing fighter pilots. Like think like Top Gun, you know, there, there, there is a lot. And I say, and before you completely roll your eyes, uh, I'm not saying like, yeah, because we're awesome (laughs) and we're the best of the best of the best. Sir, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's because there's a lot of ego there. Um, and I, this is me, you know, talking about myself and my people. There's a lot of ego there. There's a lot of um, self-assurance there. There's a lot of, um, you know, I'm the one who has to, to, to do this thing. And you're not, you're not in the exam room. You're not in the plane. Right. You know, your your critique is not any more valid than my in than my own internal critique. And so I think that that if you think of it a little bit like that, I, I think that that can be helpful in in 
in managing doctors. I, I really do. So if you had a group of fighter pilots, how are you going to talk to them about a problem? And it's not going to be coming in and saying, you're, you're going to do this thing uh, that I tell you to do. Right. I, I think that that's a harder take. The better take is vulnerability. So vulnerability, I think it's your key. I think when you deal with veterinarians, I think it's the best ally that you have. Um, I think that, especially with new vets, no, no, think of a, think of the brand new fighter pilot is the new vet. So they have all of the quirks of the fighter, of the rest of the fighter pilots, but they are also terrified of being seen as less than. You know, and so they've, and they've got something to prove. Mm-hmm. And so they're, you know, even more so vulnerability is your friend. And so what do I mean when I'm, when I say vulnerability, the difference, what I'm talking about here is, uh, the path to struggle is to go in and say, here's what I want you to do so that I don't have a problem anymore. Right. The path to success is to say, I have a problem and I need your help. Mm-hmm. And that's the vulnerability that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so headspace wise, come from a place of compassion. You want this person to be successful. You want them to be happy. You want them to be a good vet and to have a good long-term career. And the way to do that is to come at it from a point of vulnerability Mm -hmm. and asking for them to help you with a problem as opposed to coming in and trying to tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. What do totally. you think of that? I totally agree. And I think that um, for me as a manager, nothing creates the ability for me to speak vulnerably and ask for their help than having um, than having some direct um, f- direct feedback and direct observations, which kind of steers into, well, now how, what do I need to do to, to, to actually tackle this problem and steers out of headspace. But for me, it's, it's easier to say, Hey, I need your help. Um, you know, I was watching when I was, uh, you know, in the hallway watching treatments the other day, and this is what I saw. This is what I observed. This is what I noticed. It's, it's really easy when you have firsthand knowledge of the problem versus, hey, someone else on the team is worried about you. Someone else on the team has seen this. Someone else has been in my office complaining about this. Is Let's be real. That's really what they're hearing. And so it, it makes it easier to have that conversation if you can say, hey, I'm worried about you. I have seen this. I have, I, you know, I watched this happen. To be able to say that is, um, is so much more powerful when you, when you ask them for help. I, I agree with that completely. Um, and I'll go one step further. So I think there's different levels here. So the first level in really being effective and coming with vulnerability is if you can say, I have experienced this, I have seen this, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I am worried about this, or this is a problem that I'm wrestling with. Mm-hmm. I think that that makes it more authentic and more real that, that you're having a one-on-one personal conversation and that mm-hmm. you're coming from a point of compassion. I think that that's true. I think the next level to that, and this is this is why I think that doctors will always have a slightly easier time managing other doctors than people who are not doctors managing doctors. Right. And I'm not saying that that's how it has to be. And the truth is, a lot of times practice managers are much better skilled at management, and so it becomes a wash, or sometimes they come out ahead. Right. But there is one massive advantage that doctors have in managing other doctors. And that is the ability to say, I have struggled with this problem. Mm-hmm. This is something that really was difficult for me for a long time. Or this is something that continues to be a challenge for me. And I want to talk to you about it early in the game so that maybe you will have an easier go of it than I have Mm -hmm. and that's that's really the heart again of vulnerability yeah and so i just think that um that being able to say hey let me talk to you about something that i struggled with very much as a young veterinarian now i'm not talking to uh, to you about you at all i'm talking to you about me and it's 
that sort of vulnerability opens people up to hearing what you have to say. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Totally. So I, I, I love – when we talk about vulnerability, I like that a lot of, I, you know, I see what's going on and then also I have struggled with this thing and I want to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that we can get people into a less defensive position that way. Totally. I so totally that's agree. it. And again, the last, the last part of it, you know, just again, to sort of restate something we said earlier, veterinarians by training, by nature, generally are problem solving people. Mm-hmm. Like they are trained to solve problems in vet school, but let's be honest, they got into vet school because they're problem solvers and they're problem solving mm-hmm. people. And so when you go to them, they're, and they're generally perfectionists. So when you go to them and you say, I have a critique for you, the perfectionist part of their brain freaks out. Mm-hmm. You know, they do not like that at all. Like, what do you mean? Uh, you know, are you coming to criticize me? I just, you know, like it is a big deal. Right. So don't use that part of their brain. So right. you go to the other part of their brain and say, <laughs> I have a problem. And they'll go, a problem? What, How can I help? <laughs> what is this problem? Tell me about the problem. I have spent my life solving problems. I've solved six problems today, and it's only <laughs> 10 a.m. <laughs> Tell them about the problem. Okay. It's totally true. Let's it's totally true. So let's start talking about the difference in new doctors and uh, and established doctors as far as changing their time management behavior. Okay. So I totally I totally agree with that. I think even before we dig into that, for me, when I read this, the first question I had is, is it a time management problem? Because it it might be, especially if you have, if your new associate is um, a new grad or even someone who's been out of school just a few years, like, is it that they have things that are... um, adding to the time management structure, like they're having to look stuff up and they're having to do research. Like, is it a time management issue or, or is it a systems issue? Because in so many clinics, it, there is a little bit of time management. There always is. But, um, my question is, what is it that they are doing? Like when, when someone says I have a doctor who's working until 10 o'clock at night and then they're going home and and working more for me, the question is, what are they, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. Is it the charting? that they're going home and having to do? Are they staying there making phone calls until 10 o'clock at night? Like what, what are they actually doing? And the same with the surgeries and dentistries that are taking forever. And the patients are going home at the very end of the day. What does that actually look like? What is happening? And that's where I was saying for me, where I start with this is directly spending time on the floor and, and observing to try and figure out what is it that is happening? Because some of it could be time management related, but some of it could also be systems issues within your own, within the practice that have nothing to do with that actual doctor. And so that's where I think that's a call as a manager or, a, or supervising veterinarian that you can't make unless you've spent some time on the floor observing to try and figure out what is it that they're actually doing? What what right. the what is the actual problem? I think you also need to ask them how do you think things are going and what do they think the problem is and have a process for trying, trying to get that out of them. But I think you, you have to start with spending some time observing yourself. Yeah. So let's unpack that. Cause there, there's, there's a, there's a lot there. I think that why the person is struggling. So there's solving the problem. And when we solve the problem, the first step is just like working up a medical case, right? Whenever you've got something in your practice, we start with diagnostics, mm-hmm. right? We don't just mm-hmm. start prescribing things mm-hmm. and making treatments. The first thing is diagnostics of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Before, so let let me zoom further out here a little bit. As if we're going to stay in the meta in the medical metaphor, diagnostics come before treatment. But you know what becomes what comes before diagnostics is preventive care. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and I think the point that I would like to make right here is the best way to solve this problem uh, for veterinarians coming into your practice is to not let the problem get established because of your onboarding. 
you know, and the way that we bring doctors into a practice, we can avoid a lot of these kinds of problems. We can make adjustments in a way that's really easy to make adjustments. It's not a correction. It's a training step. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the, the doctors are much more open to it. And I, I don't think it takes a ton of time, mm-hmm. but I think that you can lay down some structures and some groundworks when you bring new doctors in that can um, that can help correct a lot of problems. But it also gives you a framework to fix problems in a not awkward way. Mm-hmm. If you bring a new doctor in and you kind of toss them in and you don't talk to them for two and a half weeks and then you go and try to talk to them about making a change, this is suddenly a big deal. It's the first time the owner has sat me down and talked to me about anything and it's about my surgery's taking too long. And, you know, that's you can feel the cortisol level going up just imagining that scenario versus if you set up a system where you're communicating then you have that conversation much earlier. We're not waiting two and a half weeks before we go, hey, by the way, the last two weeks haven't gone all that well. Mm-hmm. We're saying, hey, let's talk about what happened this morning. Mm-hmm. And that is just a different level of stress. It is a much lower level. Mm-hmm. I I totally agree with you. I, it's, it's funny, um, whether it's an a new grad or just a new associate to the practice, I'm I'm in a place where we're, I'm hiring multiple doctors um, right now. And I've been talking to a lot of other vets about what their onboarding looked like and um, whether they have been new grads or experienced associates starting at a new practice. I have been amazed at the amount of them who have said, you know, maybe I shadowed somebody for like a day and learned where all the supplies were kept. And then I was cut loose and it was like, here's your schedule. Bam, go see the patients with, with no, no, no real onboarding process. And I think that, I think that you're right, that we have to take a really hard look at what is that, what is that process? Because we can avoid so many of these challenges by actually having a process and having pieces of it that address the idea of not only learning what your process is and your protocol in, in the practice, but having a support system in place so that there are people that they can ask questions to and that people who can ask questions of them to say, oh, I see you're doing it this way. Can you tell me more about that to learn how are we going to integrate their process or, or protocol into the team in a ramp up period where then you can talk about it if there are things that are not in line with what you do in your practice or not in line with how the the rest of your team has been doing something, it may not be wrong. You may want to change your system, but if you don't look at that until after they've been in it for a while, you are totally right in that it's going to create so much more chaos if you wait. And then all of a sudden, two weeks in or four weeks in, you're sitting down because you see that there's um, a challenge or something that has become a problem. And now you're wanting to address it. Yeah. I agree. So let's talk about let's talk about some of the systems that you want to put in place before there's a problem. Okay. And I think you even mentioned one when you were just talking about your job is shadowing. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing it's amazing how few clinics do shadowing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, "All right, well, you've worked in other clinics." Right. Uh, you know that let me give you a run through <laughs> of the practice management system right. and then off you go. Right. And it is an investment, but guys, it is worth the investment Absolutely. to to have a shadow, you know, a doctor shadow another doctor and just say, it's, this is what you're really doing when you do this. Okay, let, let me unpack this a, a little bit. When I say to you, hey, you're going to be shadowing Dr. Hate, um, I, w- the message that I'm sending and the way that I'm delivering this is not, I don't think you're a good doctor. The message that I want to send is, you're a great doctor. We want to make sure that you know how we do things here. Mm-hmm. And let me pause. And fo- like what I just said is so important. Okay. Hear me. There is a massive difference in we want you to be an effective doctor versus we want you to see how we do things here. Because I see so many hospitals that are like, 
you know what? We get a competent doctor and we put them into our exam rooms and that's the end of the formula. Mm -hmm. And that is not how you run a hospital, guys. Like that is so old school. It is old school of, I expect this doctor to be competent and we are giving them a platform to work on. Mm -hmm. That is not modern medicine. Modern medicine is, uh, we have protocols of the medicine that we practice mm -hmm. and we are on the same page and we pass cases back and forth to each other so that we can have time off mm -hmm. so that we can have work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And I trust that you are going to support me and that you are going to work a case up in a way that's acceptable to me. And I am going to work a case up in a way that's acceptable to you so that you feel comfortable and you can go home and have some downtime. Right. right? And we are going to make product recommendations that match up so that I am not undermining the client's trust by right. pulling them off the flea medicine that you put them on and say, you know what? I really think this one is better. And then you get them back and you switch them back to something else. And the client's like, I don't, these people, they don't, they don't even agree. Right. You know who I'm going <laughs> to listen to? The guy on the Facebook ad right. who's got tea tree oil. Like that's that, cause that guy, he's <laughs> definitely confident. You know what I mean? It's totally so true. That's, it's so important. And, and people say to me all the time, Dr. Rourke, how do I get my veterinarians to, they, we, we have every different type of inside and we have every different type of flea prevention. We have every different type of heartworm prevention. We have every different type of dog food because the doctors won't agree. And I go, look, you're running a small business. This is not feasible. You cannot have all the stuff and you're going to confuse people and you're going to have this constant fighting and battling. And it's just at a, basic fundamental level there is a way that we do things at our practice mm -hmm. and if you don't have a way that you do things at your practice guys you're always going to have conflicts you're always going to undermine the trust that the pet owner has in your practice you can't market yourself you don't know what your brand is when i say to you why would i come to your practice instead of coming to the other three closest practices to you. You don't know because you're like, I don't know. It depends on which doctor you see. They all do things differently and they mm -hmm. have their perks and their drawbacks. And I go, you can't market your practice and you can't communicate to pet owners. And then it's just going to be, you're, it's so hard and it doesn't have to be, but we've got to decide what it means to be part of the Cleveland park animal hospital team. Mm -hmm. And that's just a fundamental value, right? That is, that is, this is the bedrock of having culture. Mm -hmm. And so when I say, I want you to see how we do things here and get on board with what we're doing, what I am saying to you is we have a culture and we want you to integrate into it. Mm-hmm. And let's be clear. I mean, we may have some practices who are listening who are like, but I'm the practice that you were just talking about, Andy, the one where everybody does things differently and we don't have that culture and we don't have that established. You guys, now is the perfect time, particularly if you're honest with your new associate and you're like, look, we want we want to make you successful. We want this to to be a good experience for you. And we are recognizing that we have some challenges and we are going different directions. And so we want to use your being here as a catalyst to figure out the answers to those problems and figure out who are we as a team, what is going to be our basic standard of this is how we're, we do the basics. And, and most commonly the response I get from managers and, and practice owners, but particularly from the, the veterinarian crowd is like, why well, don't you telling me how to practice medicine? It's not, you guys, it's not about me telling you how to practice medicine. It's about exactly what you just said, which is that when a client walks in the door, they have the right to have the expectation that there is some continuity of care, no matter who they see or who they talk to in your practice. At some basic foundational level, there has to be that commonality amongst everybody. And so you could use having a new associate in your practice um, or even a new team member in your practice as a catalyst to figure that out. You don't have to use it, use it for their good in the way that I would approach them with it because 
they are, let's be clear, they are going to suffer. If you don't have this already figured out before you have that person come on board, it is going to be challenging. It's going to be frustrating. It is going to, it is going to impact them. And so you need to sit down and have a conversation with them and be very candid and honest about the fact that this is going to impact them, but you want their help because they, their being there can be the catalyst for you to figure that out as a, as a practice team and as a group. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's the shadowing part. I like to take that a step further and make the person that they're shadowing into a formal, you you can call it a mentor if you want. I Mm -hmm. think recent graduates like a mentor. Mm -hmm. I think when you're bringing a vet in that's been out for 10 years, it can be kind of awkward to say, here's your mentor. Mm -hmm. I think the term instead can be, um, you know, your, your onboarding, this is going to be your onboarding vet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something like that or mm-hmm. your, I don't know, your your check-in <laughs> vet, what, whatever you want to come up with. I, I don't have strong feelings there. But essentially, you give them a point person. Right. And you say, this is the doctor who, ha- everybody is happy to help you. Mm-hmm. But this doctor has agreed to really, to be available. If you need anything, you can, you can give me a call on my cell. You know, if I'm off, you know, whatever. And this is not going to be a massive commitment, you know what I mean? But just saying, here's the doctor that you're going to shadow. Here's the doctor that is, you know, has agreed to take questions and to be there and to, and to help however you need. Here's the doctor that's going to get you up to speed in how we do surgeries. You know, all those sorts of things. Just defining that as opposed to all the vets here are nice. That you just just right. holler out if you need anything. Sure, right. That it's a small thing, but it's not a small thing. Totally. totally. So a mentor can help them navigate how we do medicine here. It's navigating our clients and how we communicate with clients, you know, our callbacks, mm-hmm. things like that. They can navigate the schedule and how we set things up and how we get mm-hmm. things done. And then sort of navigating work-life balance, especially for young vets. Guys, vet schools don't teach veterinarians work-life balance they teach them the opposite of work-life balance <laughs> they they do they teach them you should work all the time you need right. to stay up and, and get this thing done right and they do that so they teach you the opposite of work-life balance and i'm not trying to crap on the vet school I, I, they have a lot to pack into a short amount of time right and they're trying to make people competent doctors that is it is more important to them that they make doctors that don't kill animals right than that they make doctors that <laughs> are good at taking vacations Right. Uh, I get it. I get it. It's on the rest of us as a profession to teach doctors how to take vacations. Mm-hmm. And so the things that kill me about vet schools are, you know, they don't teach us work-life balance. And a, a big part of it, and this goes back to when I started talking about the original associate vet that's there till 10 p.m. every night and then goes home. This is a record-keeping problem. And I, and right. I asked them about it, you know, and I said, well, what are they doing? And, well, she, she's writing up charts. And I have seen this again and again and again. And this is where I think the vet schools are, are failing us. And they fail us in, in medical record because when we're in clinics, at least how it was uh, recently and, and everywhere that I go and see how clinics are run, students are evaluated based on what they write in the charts. And we say things to veterinarians and to vet students like, if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. And we scare them into writing novels. And so they write five pages about all their thoughts and they have, you know, transcripts of conversations, not here are the pertinent points, but here's everywhere. And I said this, and then she said this, and then I said that. And it's, it's counterproductive, right? We end up with these medical records that are five pages long that nobody wants to read and that, vet, and, and that the next vet is worse off because they can't find the things that matter because it's buried in a huge record. Mm-hmm. And so you open it up and essentially the only thing that's close to being as useless as an empty record, which we've all seen and hated, is <laughs> a record that goes on for 12 pages. Right. And you're standing at the door being like, I have got to go into this room. Right. So... We've got to work on on medical records, on capturing the things that um, protect us legally and that set the next veterinarian up for success, meaning yes. concisely, 
Here are the things you need to know. Here's what we talked about. This is the plan. This is what I told them the next steps are. Yeah. I, um, I, to some, to some degree, I, I very slightly disagree with you in, in that being the one as a, as a manager who has to be in the position to play defense for the team, whether it's with a hacked off client or submitting stuff to, um, you know, to a plit or to a board complaint because a client has, you know, gone off the rails and has, has complained, whatever, whatever that is, I'm in the position and I feel that of, look, if it's not in the chart, I have no way to defend that. And so for me, it's about creating a system so that there can be a happy medium. Cause I agree with you. Like I've gotten those charts where it's 12 pages and I'm like, holy sweet baby Jesus. Now I have to read this and try and comprehend this. And those are just as obnoxious as you said, the charts that have nothing written. And so for me, it's about how do we create a system and a process so that you can be efficient in that charting. And that was one of my questions was like, what is causing them to be there until 10 o'clock at night? Is this a charting? Is this a charting issue? Are they going home and writing up charts? Because to me, that's a systems issue. That's that's thinking that there is something missing in the practice, whether it's not having enough hands on deck, not having the the right people doing the right things to help the vet move that process along, not using glossaries and shortcuts and using your practice management software to be well-functioning because let's be real, we really suck in veterinary medicine at utilizing our practice management softwares to the fullest extent of their capabilities. And so for me, that's a systems issue and needing to look at how do I do this really well and make it very efficient at the same time so that you find that sweet spot between the 12 page record and the nothing, because when I'm in that position of having to play defense, I need the answers to be in the chart. I need to be able to look at it and say, well, it looks like Dr. Rourke said this, this, and this to your husband. And that's why we are where we are. Like I, I need the ability to be able to say that. Right. And, and, uh, and I, and I completely agree with that. I, I am definitely not saying medical records should be the old school record. That's three <laughs> lines at the top of the page. And I've seen that too. I'm, I'm not advocating for that. There is a happy medium. There really is a happy medium between covering your bases and being concise and, uh, and protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. And that does exist. And to your point, a system for creating medical records is important. Mm -hmm. And that can be delegating to the support staff, having the technicians, Mm -hmm. because technicians can help you on charting. Mm -hmm. And there's five of them or three of them or two of them for every veterinarian, mm-hmm. you know, they absolutely can help you with that. So you can build systems to address those things. I just, I think that that's important. That is important to address. Mm-hmm. And I have seen practices where all the vets go home at closing time, except one mm-hmm. stays for four hours more and writes down every conversation. And part of that is, how much they write and not being efficient with mm-hmm. their records. And another big part of it for me, and this is something I harp on in bringing new vets into the profession, it's them not writing up their charts until the end of the day and yes. putting them off. Yes. And then they're writing a ton and they're trying to remember everything that they did. And I just, I preach this all the time. I really believe that we need to have a system to get the records done when the case is there or as soon as it's leaving the building, like get it done, get the case finished and move on. And that's just, that's just something that I I really believe in as far as not burning out doctors. And going back to your idea about you have to, part of the onboarding process has to be a shadow process. I like to use that time where you're having them shadow um, because even if you have, let's say you have an experienced associate who starts at your practice and, you know, they've been in practice for 10 years, but they've been in another practice that used another practice management software. You guys, the differences between the softwares are, are vast. And so they may not know what you have the ability to do easily within your practice. They know that they want it, but they don't know how to make it happen. And so they will be on the struggle bus for weeks or months at a time before they finally get frustrated enough to say, I need somebody to teach me how to do this thing. So use the shadow process to have them write up some charts and get a sense of how do they chart. And then whoever is the geeky, nerdy person in your practice who knows how to use your AvMark or your Cornerstone, have them 
help the doctor set up their glossaries or set up their group templates or whatever your software is set up to do, help them get to know their charting style and help them um, set it up and figure it out proactively. Don't sit back and wait for them to get super frustrated and be like, well, at my last practice, I had all of these, you know, glossaries or I had all of these templates and I just hit a keystroke and it dropped it in. They all can do that. Help them figure out how to make that happen and right. use the shadow process to do it. No, I, I like that a lot. Similar thing for surgery. We talked about, you know, we've got vets that come in and they're taking a long time for surgery and uh, cases are getting discharged late in the day. I, I hate that. I don't like sending home patients at, you know, at five o'clock in the afternoon and they're wobbly because they just got done at three thirty. That's not good medicine. I don't I don't like that. And I'm, I don't like the, the client experience on the other side of that. You know, I, I nobody nobody likes that. If we do some shadowing, if we have a surgical mentor and again, you don't have to call them a mentor. You can call them the surgical onboarding vet. It's like, hey, Dr. Phillips uh, does more surgery here than anybody. He's going to be working with you to get you up to speed in how we do surgery here and mm -hmm. how our systems work and just to support you as you get up and get going. Now you've got a defined relationship. And when that vet starts um, taking an hour to prep each surgery, it's easy to be like, oh, okay, you know, we use our technicians more here or, mm -hmm. you know, we focus on, or, hey, we need to really focus on getting these patients prepped efficiently so that we can have everyone done by noon. Mm -hmm. And that's what we go for. And it's just, it's easy to say that the first day mm -hmm. and say, you know, hey, we want to make sure that we're being efficient. We get everybody out of here by noon. Can I give you some feedback on ways that we can improve our efficiency? And you say it when it's not a big deal not after it's been going on and patients are going home wobbly at five in the afternoon. You say it before they've got a full caseload. You know, it's we say it when they're just starting to to get some surgeries in and 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 make sure that they're getting their legs under them. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your usual thunder here and say, Please. and if you want to take that to the real Yoda level, <laughs> master level, the thing that you need to do isn't look, you guys, this is a perfect opportunity to empower your technician team and your assistant team to help teach your new associate. Imagine if you were a new associate and your, uh, you were in surgery and your surgery team said, Hey, before we get started, like, let's, let's talk about how you like to do things. I want to, I want to make you successful. What's your normal process? What's your normal protocol? Because it starts it, the dialogue as a conversation, and then it allows your tech team to say, Oh, okay. I, I totally, you know, I, I've done that system before. I've never seen it done that way before. What we're used to is this. How, how do you feel like we should approach this today? How should we tackle it before you even get started and get going? And then you are allowing them to create a dialogue with the doctor and you're teaching that doctor to get to know them and rely on them and integrating them into the team in a way that is going to go far above and beyond just a, one of their colleagues saying, well, this is how I do surgery. And the surgery team is over in the corner shaking their head going, that is not how they do. <laughs> that's not how yeah. they do surgery. Like we do something completely different and they can say that that's what they think happens, but that's not actually what happens. Use the team, you guys, because they're the ones doing it day in and day out. Yeah, this is, this is core philosophy for me. Um, empower the techs to help teach. Mm -hmm. And the only way you do that is, is by talking about your support staff in an empowered way. Mm -hmm. And you say, you talk about the team approach, you talk about how our team uh, sets up surgeries and you talk about, Hey, you know, so the technicians can walk you through uh, sort of the team approach that we use to setting up surgery. And mm -hmm. if there's changes that you want to make or things that you want to do differently, you can absolutely, you know, you can absolutely say that and they'll, they'll, they'll support you. But, but the easiest way to do this is for us to walk you through our team approach and how, how our, you know, how our practice sets up surgery. And then we're not saying this is cookbook medicine and you can't change anything. Right. What we're saying is let's all get clear. There is a way that our team does it. There are team protocols and let us show you what they are. Mm -hmm. And then if you have minor adjustments or things that are personal preference, mm -hmm. we can try to accommodate those things. Mm -hmm. If you don't talk about the team, then 
a lot of times people will think that your practice is doctor driven, which right. is the doctor decides everything and the team just supports that. And that's just a different philosophy from our team has a way that we work together and, um, and this is how we do it. I push obviously, and this is part of the uncharted philosophy. We very much are team focused. We are, mm-hmm. we, this is a team game. We are very team focused. Well, why? Well, because we can do more effective, cost-effective ordering of products when we when we have people sort of doing the same types of things. Mm-hmm. We can do real training and effective training mm-hmm. when people are generally doing things the same way. We can get everybody together. We can do training. When everybody's doing things differently, you can't train your staff. Mm-hmm. You can't educate them. You can't get them on board. You can't move them forward. You can't make them faster and better. There's got to be, you know, systems that they use in order to make a good practice. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to communicate that this is a team, a team game and a team practice. And what the doctor wants is important and personal preference is important. And we want the doctor to feel supported, but the doctor is part of the team. And I so, it's a subtle thing, but I think it's important. No, I, I agree with you. And so I think, I think we both agree that we have to have a good onboarding process that has to be, um, has to be multi-focused. We have to have a shadowing component. You have to have support systems in place. You've got to leverage the team and there has to be training on, on things like your medical records and your practice management software so that they can get up to speed as fast as possible. But I think the other part of this that was super important is like, look, when you have this doctor, how do you sit down and and have this conversation and what do you actually say with them so that you can avoid uh, the concern that you voiced in the beginning of the episode, which is that doctors don't like being told what to do. So how do you actually sit down and have this conversation with them? Yeah, let's let's switch gears because I'm sure there's people out there who are a little bit frustrated of like hearing us talk about onboarding and they're like, yeah, wish I'd done all of that. Thanks a lot. That would have been good information to have in 2010. But But I I, didn't have it. And now we have a problem. You said we have a problem. How do we get out of this hole? Okay. Um, so, so take everything that we said, put it into a box for next time. Uh, and, and, Pull it back out when you need it for sure. But okay, so we've got the doctor who's been there and they are a great doctor. They are quite possibly almost certainly a perfectionist because the perfectionists are the ones who really tend to struggle with schedule stuff Mm -hmm. because they need to document everything. They need to have all the conversations. They need to make sure everything is just right. I'm not trying to crap on perfectionists. Don't, Don't think that I am. They are super valuable and useful. Um, but you have to talk to them in a certain way. And, and, and burnout is a super big concern for perfectionists because they, they work so hard and they are yes. wonderful for you in your practice. But sometimes we have, we have to try to save them from themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? How do we have that conversation? All right. We talked about headspace before, but let me circle back to it. Come, come from a point of compassion Mm-hmm. don't come at them like you're doing this thing wrong. It's come at them from, I'm concerned. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm concerned and I care. Okay. The, the best scenario here is when I have these conversations, the best scenario is not me telling the doctor what's wrong. The best scenario is me asking a question that leads the doctor to come to understand what's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it really is that it's a be- the best outcome for me is that n- the doctor has all of these ideas about how to fix the problem, mm-hmm. and I just nod my head and go, "I will support you." Right? Yes, you are you. This, this is genius. I love what you're saying. Let me support you. That is the best outcome, right? And so, I like to talk to them about like how, you know, so how, how you feel like things are going, you know, what's, what's good about, what's good about the job. What do you like about, about things? And this is just a good check-in meeting is tell me what's good, mm-hmm. what's going on. What are you enjoying? What are you looking forward to? And this is just a good temperature check. And it's also to make sure if, if you have a vet and she's like, I'm not, I'm not really looking forward to anything. It's not a, 
that that's a flag, right? We should be like, okay, you know, I, I want you to be looking forward to things. I want you to be excited about where you're going. And so it's a little thing, but it's, it's a great temperature check. It's a great coaching sort of uh, guiding question to ask is what are you, what are you looking forward to? What are you excited about? And the other reason I like to ask about what's good is so that I can be in like, you know, what, what can we do better? What are, what are things that could, that could be improved? What are, what are things that, that cause you frustration or that you struggle with? And I like to, to ask them out or, or ask them that, or I'll say, you know, or how, how can, how can we, how can we help you? Like, how, how can we better support you? And I'm opening up the conversation for them to tell me what's wrong. And hopefully they're going to say, I need to not be working all night long. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're totally right. I love to think about it like a funnel. And you start really wide and broad and ask them, you know, a really great open-ended question. What's going well? What You know, what what's challenging you right now? And then shut up and let them talk. But you also have to be prepared that if they're not starting to narrow down that funnel and get to where you need them to be, you have to be prepared to ask them some questions that are not going to give them the answer, but that are going to direct them in the right direction. So you need to be prepared to say, how's it going with charting? Or how's it going with your callbacks? You have to be prepared to put that out there for them if they're not circling around to where you need them to be because what you can't do is ask an open-ended question of them and let them circle around and around and not get to it and then be like, cool, good talk. Okay, I'll talk to you later because so many vets will do that and I've seen so many managers and so many practice owners have those kind of conversations and be like, okay, this was a good talk. We'll talk later and (laughs) and never get to what you actually need to talk about because they're afraid to to say it to them for whatever reason. They don't want to offend them. They don't want to upset them. They're like, well, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe I'm hallucinating this. Look, you guys, if you have been on the floor and you have directly observed this behavior, don't be afraid to point them in the right direction, but you need to do it still in an open-ended way that is going to let them circle around to it on their own. Yeah. Let's talk about moving them down the funnel. I love that analogy. So we do start the conversation off as a, as a funnel. How, how, how are things going? How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. What's going on in your world? That's mm-hmm. pretty darn broad. Okay. And so then they'll start to sort of talk a little bit. And I don't want to, the, I have to personally resist the urge to grab onto the pearl as soon as I see it, mm-hmm. you know, and go, mm-hmm. ah, that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I have to resist that. But I don't want it to get lost when they start to go down the path that I like. And so phrases that I use, I'll say, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Or, or they'll, they'll say, well, you know, what am I excited about? Well, I'm excited about this. What else? What else is going on? Right? So what else? Tell me more about that. I was like, let's unpack that a little bit. Or can you unpack that for me? What do you mean when you say that? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, those, those are the phrases that I like at the top of the funnel. Tell me, so, ah, there's the pearl that I like that. They're like, you know, I just, just wish I had, you know, more time at home. Like, okay, well, let's. Let's so unpack that a little bit or tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. What would that look like? How mm-hmm. would, how could we make that happen? You know, and I'm not, I, I, you better believe I have ideas. I always have ideas about what I would like to do, but I'm not going to share them with you. And I, because the more that I get you to say, the less I have to pull out of you, you mm-hmm. know, the mm-hmm. more that you give to me, the less I have to pull out. And so tell me more about that. Well, let's unpack that. Let's talk more about that. What would that look like? Right? Mm-hmm. And the other part of that, as I move down the funnel, in order to keep them going in the direction that I want, I really want to customize this to what the doctor cares about. Mm-hmm. And so the long surgery thing, right, um, is this, if you, and you, uh, honestly, and it's funny, this just came up naturally, I care a lot about client experience. Like how do the clients, are they comfortable? Do they feel safe? Do they feel supported? That that's a a big thing for me. And so woozy pets going home at the end of the day, I think about how scary that would be for the clients. That must be upsetting. (laughs) You know, that's the first thing that pops into my mind. It's not that I don't care about the other things or the the patient care or whatever, Mm -hmm. but, um, but that's the thing that comes into my mind because I care a lot about clients and client experience. So if you want to get my attention, we talk about woozy clients or woozy pets and, and woozy clients. I don't want woozy clients going home. But uh, <laughs> woozy, we talk about woozy pets going home. Um, we might talk to a different doctor about um, 
the short post-op recovery monitoring. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we're not getting to watch these dogs. Mm-hmm. And that's really that's that's scary. And so if they're focused on patient care and like that, that may be the button for them. Or the longer anesthesia times, you know, mm-hmm. I know that we I know that we are being very conscientious with the surgery. However, these patients are staying under anesthesia a long time. And again, mm-hmm. speaking specifics, mm-hmm. how long are they under anesthesia? Like we, if mm-hmm. you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So we mm-hmm. need to start paying attention and getting some numbers so we can, so we can work. Mm-hmm. So longer anesthesia times, you know, there's, there's staffing problems. Hey, we're stressing, we're stressing out the technicians because, you know, um, Kelsey's supposed to go home at one o'clock and the surgeries aren't, aren't done. And, you know, so we, mm-hmm. we, we're having some, some burnout stuff on the staff or, it could be, hey, we. I want to make sure that you're going home and mm-hmm. feeling rested and feeling recovered. And surgery day is supposed to be a lighter day for you, and it's right. It's not right. And so talk to them about what they care about. You know, if there's things that you know that they're wrestling with, or uh, things that that they seem to to focus on, talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And a lot of the times, that's where I think it's so important to, like you said you don't want to grab onto the pearl too fast because you want to let them talk because you need to know what is important to them. Like you might intrinsically know this, this um, doctor, you know, is super passionate about the patients and they, she just loves her patients and the animals. And you may know that that's where you need to direct the conversation, but sometimes you don't know what is really important to them. And that's where shutting up and listening to what they're telling you, not with the intent to answer the question or give them your solution, but to actually hear what they're saying is so, so necessary. Because if you ask them good quality questions, they're going to give you the answer. Yeah. Even if you don't know it when, when you start. That's the basis of my exam room uh, technique as well. Good mm-hmm. questions get you the information that you need. Mm-hmm. And this it's that's the mastery of the exam room comes from that. The mastery mm-hmm. of staff management comes from that. And definitely the mastery of doctor management comes from that is mm-hmm. you've got to ask the questions. You've got to listen. You have to ask them to extrapolate. You've got to figure out what they care about so mm-hmm. that you can talk to them about that. And mm-hmm. just, again, remember, last thing I'll really hammer on here is remember that doctors love problems not being told what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I I think that's so important because you if you don't ask for their help in solving the problem, it's really easy. I think it's human nature to get into that, well they're asking me what I think and how things are going and so it be, it can become very easy to move into that complaining stage where then they're just venting about what is frustrating them. And so I think the important part is remember that they like to solve the puzzle and circle it back. You have to ask them for their help. What do you think could be a solution to this? If they're not getting to the solution space on their own, you have to put them back into that space and they will want to think about it like a puzzle. You're so right about that in terms of, being how so many doctors think. And so use that to your advantage and ask them questions like, how, how, how would you solve this? What do you see as some solutions? Um, You know, what do you want to do about this problem? If you were in my shoes, how, how would you approach this? Right. Yeah, I completely agree. It's easier to have this conversation if these conversations are not abnormal in your practice and your relationship too. Totally. Just having sort of check-in meetings as you go. If the only time, if if the vet's been there for ten years, and this is the first conversation like this you're having. It's gonna feel weird, right? <laughs> still, still productive, but weird. Mm-hmm. If we have some just some reviews and some check-ins and things along and along, and we say things like, "How do you think things are going? What do you think we could do better? Are there ways that we could support you?" Those are. It quickly becomes not weird it's just sort of how we interact with management Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally but yeah ask the doctor bring up the problems talk to them about what they care about that's how you frame the problem if they're a patient care doctor we talk let's talk about anesthesia time um and the risks associated with long anesthesia time and how long anesthesia time is let's talk about woozy patients and not being able to monitor them at the end of the day 
you know, and not having staff around to help out at the end of the day and being shorthanded. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about those realities and then let's talk about how, how they might address those. Do they have ideas of what we could do differently? And maybe they'll say, well, maybe we need to do fewer surgeries in a day. What I hear is maybe we need to do fewer surgeries in a day with that doctor. Right. You know? Right. Uh, maybe we need mentorship on surgical efficiency. Mm-hmm. Maybe they want some more training. Maybe they want some more practice with surgery and maybe mm-hmm. we can get in, a, uh, maybe we can get them in at the shelter mm-hmm. to do some days as well. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe we can compensate them to go to the shelter mm-hmm. and just do surgery, surgery, surgeries. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Maybe there's some temporary staff scheduling stuff uh, that we could do. Like, for example, maybe we could, and this is temporary, maybe we put our best surgery team with the doctor to mm-hmm. help him or her get up to speed. Mm-hmm. And what I'm, I'm not saying, let's give the best people to the slowest doctor, because that, right. be, that can be a problem. Backfire. You know, mm-hmm. with, yeah, that can totally backfire. Mm-hmm. But if we go in and say... This is a temporary solution I'm bringing in, you know, we're going to put the strongest technicians with mm-hmm. you to, to build out systems right. that you're, or to train the staff that you're working with, whatever, but just be clear from the beginning, we do not give our best people to the doctor doing the fewest surgeries mm-hmm. that, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. you know, but we can do that very respectfully. So that, totally. that's, that's what I got. Have you got anything else to add to this? No, I love it. I love it. Don't be don't be afraid to have the conversation though. I think s- starting anywhere is better than not starting at all. And like you said, if this is especially if this is someone who's been in your practice, um th- and this is the first time you're having this conversation, it's going to feel weird, but do it anyways. And if you're like if you're that doctor out there who's thinking, "Oh, that would be me." I'd I'd be like, "Good talk. Thanks. We'll we'll do this again." circle back to it, have, have another conversation because you haven't really had the conversation that you needed to have in the first place and, and keep it up because it does become like all things. The more we practice, the easier it becomes. You you just got to have the conversation. Totally. All right. Cool. Thanks, Steph. Awesome. Well, I will talk to you later. I hope you guys have a great week. All right. Bye. Bye. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope it was a good one for you. Remember, if you have any questions at all that you would love for me and Stephanie to tackle, just shoot us an email. The email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. We're always happy to help. And honestly, if you've been enjoying the podcast, number one, maybe you should really check out Uncharted. Our community is fantastic. We practice what we preach, and you can be a part of that. Number two, it really helps us if you are up for leaving an honest review on iTunes. That's how people find us. That gives us some credibility in the world. And for people who are looking from the outside, they think maybe these guys know what they're talking about because they got a lot of good reviews. So always looking for positive reviews or just honest reviews, honestly. And uh, thanks for being with us. Gang, take care of yourselves. I'm going to have something special coming for you into your podcast feed tomorrow. I hope you'll enjoy it. It's, It's something I'm actually really excited about. Talk to you soon. Bye.